Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Coming in the second half of today's show, we'll hear from number one New York Times bestselling author Karen Kingsbury. She'll share how she went from the male-dominated field of sports writing to authoring true crime books, and then the multi-billion dollar business of romance writing, where she's now known as the queen of Christian fiction. But first, if you love all things National Geographic, you will love this new book that we're going to talk about in just a moment. It is full of hot new science, stunning photographs, maps, facts, infographics, all kinds of wonderful information that can totally absorb your time if you're not careful. And here to talk about it is Cara Santa Maria. She's an Emmy and Knight uh, Foundation award-winning science journalist. She's also the creator and host of the science podcast Talk Nerdy. She's a correspondent on National Geographic's Explorer and Netflix's Bill Nye Saves the World. She's uh, appeared on numerous media channels and is also the co-host of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast. Cara Santa Maria, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And I have to tell you how much I love this book because I'm a little nerdy myself. <laughs> and I, I, like so to, I like to know a little about everything, you know. <laughs> this book is full of it. And I should say it's called The Almanac 2019. It's National Geographic. And um, we've had National Geographic Almanacs for kids for quite a while, I think, uh, Cara. But never before for people, as they put it, between 12 and 112. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So the Almanac 29, or the uh, Almanac for Kids has been around for quite a long time. And we were thinking, you know, why don't we have an Almanac for adults? 2019 seems to be the right time to get this started, because I think now more than ever, we really need a, a central place that has authority, a, a place that we can trust to find a lot of really interesting information about science, exploration, and beyond. Right. And we know that we can trust this information versus just taking a deep dive on the Internet and pulling up a random bunch of information there. Um, It kind of reminded me of what... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of reminded me a little of when I was a kid and my grandmother always had the farmer's almanac, but this is so much more. It's so uh, beautifully filled with photographs. Um, I didn't count how many pages in there. There's quite a lot of pages in here. But um, tell us how you got involved in this. Sure, and 400 pages to be, I think, almost exact. Yeah, it's quite the tome. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I was actually lucky enough. I've worked with National Geographic for quite a long time. I'm actually, um, as you mentioned previously, a correspondent on the new television show Explorer, which airs uh, starting November 12th. And so when the books team reached out to me, to work with them on this new project, I was absolutely thrilled. So my role in the Almanac is that I wrote the foreword to the book, and I also wrote these great um, sections at the beginning of each unit of the book called the Quizmaster Pages, and they're a, a dual-page 
spread with a bunch of trivia questions that I ask. And, of course, I give hints as to the pages where you can find the answers because they are... They are deep, <laughs> deep in the content there. This book has so much information jam-packed into its pages. Did you get to pick the questions that you asked? I did. I had a lot of um, latitude. You know, I worked a lot with the books people, so I got to choose between questions. I got to help um, decide actually what some of the trending topics were going to be and how we wanted to approach them. So it was a really great kind of collaborative process putting this together. Right. And you've had a lifelong interest in science. Um, I know that when you were uh, younger, you, uh, you well, you started out your career teaching, correct? Correct. Absolutely. So I was actually a trained scientist before I went into more general science communication. I worked as a neuroscientist for several years and taught um, university courses in neuroscience and psychology. I took a, a long break from academic science, about 10 years, but I'm now back working on my Ph.D., Um, In between that time, though, I've had the opportunity to do science communication across a lot of different platforms. So this is absolutely near and dear to my heart. Right. And so how did you get then into working with the media? Yeah, it's kind of a strange turn of events. You know, I think that I was um, I, I kind of don't fit the mold of what a lot of people think of when they think of a scientist. You know, as younger, female, had some tattoos and some piercings and looked a little bit alternative. And so... I, I early on in my science career would sometimes be asked to speak um, in front of audiences or I'd be called to be kind of an expert guest in television. And after doing that a few times, I, I started to turn the tables a little bit and start hosting and presenting um, some series on my own. Right, right. So tell us how this book came together then. Um, they decide to do this almanac for, for grown-ups and... Um, uh, <laughs> How did they narrow down what they were going to talk about? Because it's such a huge range of topics. And you actually cover an enormous amount of material in here. Oh, my gosh, you're telling me. And honestly, like, you're right. It had to be narrowed down because there's so much content. But when you read this book, it does not feel narrowed down at all. It really runs the gamut. So I think really it was about brainstorming first and then organizing. And what we found is that there's six major sections Um, exploration and adventure, this planet and beyond, life on Earth, the science of us, yesterday to tomorrow and our world. And really in subdividing into those six major sections, it became easier and easier to see what went together to tell this beautiful story of our planet and of our place in the cosmos. Right. I I read in your intro to the almanac that um, National Geographic was founded 130 years ago, and it's always been guided by a central mission promoting, and I'm going to quote, the power of exploration, science, and storytelling to change the world. What I think a lot of people don't know, um, and I do because I've worked on the peripheral edges of this with a lot of various people who've worked with National Geographic, is just how well qualified the people are who work with (laughs) National Geographic. You just said yourself you're working on your PhD, and and many of them have doctorates and have really extensive uh, backgrounds. True. You know, the the reporters that work for National Geographic, both the print magazine and the website, the photographers that work with National Geographic, I mean, they're really world renowned. And of course, the National Geographic explorers, which are um, these incredible students, professors and active scientists all across the world who are funded by National Geographic to help 
improve their science and exploration to bring that information to the world at large. There's just so many people involved in such, um, you know, I think uh, uh, an authoritative and trustworthy brand that we've all come to know and love. Right, right. So let's look at some of the sections in the book. Why don't we begin with what your favorite? Do you have a favorite section in here? It's so hard to choose, but, you know, because my background is neuroscience and psychology, I have to admit that I really love the section called The Science of Us because, of, it, of course, it spans all the way from human evolution, our human ancestors, up through paleoanthropology into sort of modern culture, language, art, um, civilization, urbanization, religion, and even what we're doing to ensure that we can feed feed a growing population. Right, right. And while we're talking about, uh, you said your background is in neuroscience. Um, I love dolphins. There's a section in here on the dolphins' brains. (laughs) I know. It's so good. I love the schematics. You know, I think the great thing that this almanac does so well is it combines real photography with beautiful infographics. And I think that using that image to tell a story really helps you retain much more information, and it helps you dig deep into areas of interest for yourself. I love the infographic of the dolphin brain. It teaches you so much about these fascinating creatures who are really quite intelligent. Yes, there's a a quote in here by comparative psychologist Stan. Is his name Kuzjak? Kuzjak? And his, his quote, anyway, is the question is not how smart Uh, are dolphins, but how are dolphins smart? And that's kind of explained here. Um, One of the things things I didn't know that they actually use tools. Um, In Australia, some dolphins put uh, marine basket sponges, it says, on their their, uh, noses, their beaks, to protect against abrasion while they're probing the seafloor for prey. I thought that was quite fascinating. I know, you know, dolphins really are one of those um, incredible creatures. They have tool use. They've been known to pass the mirror test. And, you know, they have a lot of features that we often associate with great apes. Mm. Um, so you mentioned sustainable uh, sustainability, and you've got a section in here on sustainable travel, which um, I think is awesome, too. Um, I kind of went backwards and forwards, and I still do sometimes, on ecotourism. Um, if it's done well, I think uh, it really, uh, well, that's the purpose of it, to do it well, right? To educate, to raise awareness, to teach people why it's important to put them on the ground with whatever situation they're in. I went up to um, the polar bears in uh, Manitoba, for example. Um, oh, how fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was really quite incredible. Um, but you've got some travel trends here that you talk about, and Patagonia is a big one. It just looks so stunning, um, totally untamed landscape here. Um, I'm wondering if you have a favorite, uh, favorite sustainable travel tip. Absolutely. So I have unfortunately never had the opportunity to travel to Patagonia, but it's definitely on my bucket list. It's interesting, though, that you do mention sustainable travel and ecotourism because it is something that's near and dear to my heart. I recently had the opportunity to spend some time in the Peruvian Amazon with the rainforest expeditions, and they do such a wonderful job of ensuring that science and um, sustainability are central to their the tourism that they offer there. 
Um, I think that probably one of the most important things to remember when you are when you are visiting places that are just so critical, you know, especially like the Peruvian Amazon, it's it's sort of the the common knowledge, right, that you want to take only photographs and leave only footprints. And mm-hmm. and I think really talking to the local individuals, the people who live there and work there and who have made it their life's work to give back, you can learn so much about how to responsibly interact with the wildlife there. Yeah, they seem to have such a respect uh, for nature itself and for the animals, for the land, uh, and how it all is interconnected. Absolutely. And it's something that, you know, we we often, I think, take a little bit for granted. We live in, uh, many of us live in large cities. We don't really have as much access to nature as we as we think we do. But of course, I think when you go to a place like the Amazon or to Patagonia or to Manitoba, as you mentioned, sometimes it's an interesting experience where you first get there and you're like, I don't see anything. And after you've been there for days and days, you start to notice all the small things around you. And you can bring that home with you and really realize it in your own home communities. Nature absolutely is everywhere. Right, right. Um, I am just randomly pulling stuff out here, so I know we're kind of jumping around, but it, it's just so, so fascinating. It's like there's uh, all li- these little bits. And I came across the the one at the uh, at the front of the book, you have a section called Trending, and you look at things yes. that are trending. And um, there's a section called Extremes, Life on the Edge. And researchers are probing a Lake Willans, which is a... a it says 2,625 feet under the ice in Antarctica, found almost 4,000 species of microbes alive despite the inhospitable environment. Um, And the picture here is just stunning, these huge shards of, um, well, pillars of ice and people standing under there. I can't imagine what kind of courage it takes to go down that deep. Oh, my gosh, I know. It it really goes to show that there are so many areas of our own planet that have yet to be explored, yet to be discovered, and we're constantly surprised by the information that we find. I mean, who would have thought that there would be so much life just teeming in in a place that, you're right, we consider really inhospitable. I have to say that in in the extreme section... I absolutely love the feature on Sylvia Earle, the marine biologist. She has just been such an important um, role model for so many young women in science, and I'm so thrilled uh, that there is a two-page spread on her incredible work as a National Geographic explorer in residence there. And so many other women are featured in the book, um, women and people of color, who often I think have been ignored um, uh, or at least not celebrated within the sciences. It's so great to see all of these incredible people being celebrated within the pages of the Almanac. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I know that you are involved um, in a program. uh, We hear a lot about STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, and and getting more girls into into this. And National Geographic, as you said, supports that a lot. What do you say to young girls about getting into this kind of work? You know what I often tell them is that I think one of the big issues between boys and girls, especially at a young age when they're involved in science, technology, engineering, and math, we're all fascinated by it as kids. But there is a period of time where we start to lose the girls. And part of that has to do with, you know, society uh, reinforcing certain 
stereotypes, but another part of it has to do with what it means to be a girl and a boy in modern society. And so what I often tell girls is that it's hard for all of us, boys included, but we're really socially kind of um, trained that when girls think something is hard, we say it out loud. And when boys think something is difficult, they pretend it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can reinforce some of the the stereotype threat that exists. So, yes, sometimes these things are difficult, but we are smart and we are powerful and we can push through because there's so much more to gain from it. And so what I love to see in the pages of a book like The Almanac 2019 is representation. Unless a young girl sees a woman who looks like her, who has the same skin color, who came from the same neighborhood, doing the kind of job that they hope to do, they're never going to think that that job is appropriate for them. And, of course, science is for everybody. Right, right. And um, I want to know more about, because we're running out of time here real quick, but um, <laughs> I want to know more about what you're doing on Explorer. What's your role there? What are you, what are you working on? Oh, my goodness, it's so much fun. I am a correspondent, one of several on the show, and we have the opportunity to travel the world to tell fascinating stories. So one of my earliest pieces on the show, I get to go to Morocco and spend time in the Sahara Desert searching for meteorites and understanding the global meteorite trade. I actually, um, I also have the opportunity later on to visit the Netherlands to learn all about the future of food. And I tell um, plenty of other stories in addition to those. Excellent. And that starts on November 12th at, at 10 p.m. Eastern, as I understand, National Geographic yep. Channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you a simple question here that uh, I'm sure you know the answer to, but and that is about chameleons and how, why they change. Color. We know why they change color, but how do they change color? Because it is really quite fascinating. And you talk about that in the book. It really is. There's a beautiful two page spread all about color changing in chameleons. You see some great wildlife photography as well as some wonderful schematics that talk about exactly what's happening underneath their skin. There are cells that contain different kinds of pigments. And depending on the wavelength of light that they receive, they will actually, um, you know, express those pigments. And so there are things like xanthophores and erythrophores and iridophores and melanophores. And these are different pigments that can actually physically be expressed depending on the, um, the signal that they receive. Gosh, don't you wish that you could change your color <laughs> yeah. just like a chameleon? Very often. Fascinating to watch. <laughs> I know. It's I, fascinating. I know people who change their personalities sometimes <laughs> like that. So exactly. bottom line, what do you hope people will take away from the Almanac 2019? I think it's such a fun book. Um, I, I'm going to get it uh, as gifts for certain people at Christmas. I know that for sure. Oh, I think it's, it makes for such a good gift, especially for somebody who already has everything. I think the important thing to take away is that you, there's so much left to be discovered. You know, we can be inspired every day by our planet, by our you know, universe and everything in between. So the coolest thing about science and about exploration is that every time we answer one question, five new ones pop up in its place. So my hope is that people read this book and they become inspired to learn even more. Right. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing you on Explorer. And I thank you for joining us today to talk about uh, the National Geographic's Almanac 2019. Uh, very interesting book. Thank you for being with us, Cara. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, my guest, uh, Cara Maria, Santa Maria, and uh, we talked, as I said, about the Almanac 2019. Check it out at the bookstore. It's really quite a fun book.
Uh, stay with us. We will be right back. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to New Pro Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 28th, it's an encore Harmonic Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from the Whispering Dragon Center in the studio. They use their acutonic forks, Tibetan bowls and bells, poo and didge to help collars and their animal friends. You can receive healing just by listening. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in, providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. When you've tried therapy, given your marriage everything you've got, is it time to call it quits? What steps should you take before filing for separation? How will the new tax law impact you? And how can a woman create a new and better life on her own? Attorney Ann Grant provides holistic solutions in the Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. There's a lot at stake this November. 36 governorships. 35 Senate seats. And all 435 House seats are up for election. If only 50% of voters show up, it would be the highest midterm turnout in a century. Learn more and get involved at IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Conversations live with Vicki St. Clair. Live well and live strong. Reach her great audience and advertise. Learn more at ConversationsLive.net. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for the uh, nod there to the National Geographic Almanac 2019 there that we, we just talked about, Eric. <laughs> That's right. Well, we got a science contributor on the show. We got to play the science theme song, right? Absolutely. <laughs> such a smart lady. She's just got uh, built such a great career there. And, um, and this book is just, as I said, awesome. But I wanted to take a couple of minutes um, just to uh, talk to our listeners here directly and ask you uh, for your help because we're running the two, uh, 2018 survey. I'm going to get my years muddled up now between the Almanac 2019 and 2018 KKNW survey. Um, the, so the survey is running right now and it's an annual thing, as most of you probably will know. And um, it really does help us as hosts and producers 
to give you the kind of programming that you're interested in. You know, there's no point in uh, me, for example, sitting up here just talking to myself. <laughs> I want to make sure we're bringing you programming that you enjoy and guests that you're interested in and, and topics that, that mean something to you. Um, so if you could take a moment, please, to go to the website and uh, click on the words 2018 listener survey, which is near the top of the page. Uh, the website is 1150kknw.com, 1150kknw.com. And if you can just fill that out and let them know what you like about the show, what you let me know what you do like about the show, what you'd like to see more of, um, it would be very much appreciated. And it also helps um, the station at large because it helps the program managers, um, station management know uh, what kind of topics you're interested in, the shows that you're interested in, and what you want to hear more of. So it really does help shape the show. And Eric is nodding his head here as operations manager. Because I'm a radio professional. <laughs> I know that nodding sounds great on the radio. But <laughs> but yes, I, I am in full agreement with everything that you're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, it's it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, we're, we don't just go through the motions on this. It That's really right. does mean something. People look at these numbers and they look to see what shows you're watching. They look to see what topics you're interested in, what you'd like to see more of. Um, you know, what what you're thinking in general. And um, it does help, uh, as I said, the hosts, helps me, it helps the station. And as an added incentive, uh, there is a giveaway for a lucky winner here. When you fill out the survey, you do have a chance to win round tri trip passage on Victoria Clipper to Victoria, B.C., plus a $100 gift certificate to Schwartz Brothers Restaurant. So that's quite a nice little package there that you could possibly win just for filling out the survey. Um, if you choose not to um, leave your email, then obviously you don't enter into the drawing. I believe that's how it works. But, um, you know, so you can do it anonymously. But if you want to enter the drawing, you just leave your email. Correct, Eric? Yeah, he's not said that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So please go uh, share your thoughts with us. 1150kknw.com and uh, greatly appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, we'll be, uh, I'll be bringing you a conversation I had with Karen Kingsbury, number one New York Times bestselling author. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. I'm voting in the midterm elections because my constitutional right. Because my ancestors died. And to make it better for my children. The women before me fought. So we can remain free. Helping your community out. Midterm elections. No, every vote makes a difference. My opinion matters. I vote. I vote. I vote in the midterm elections. Register now on IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations live.net that's conversationslive.net today want to hear something different from talk radio keep your dial on alternative talk 1150 and welcome back everyone you're listening to conversations live with vicky st Clair. 
So my next guest is Karen Kingsbury, and I sat down with her last week and we talked by phone, and I'm going to bring that conversation with you today. She's a number one New York Times bestselling novelist. She's uh, known as America's favorite inspirational storyteller. She's got more than 25 million copies of her award-winning books in print. Her last dozen titles topped bestseller lists, and her Baxter family books have been developed into a TV series, which will debut soon. She also has several of her books in movie development. Uh, Karen's an adjunct professor of writing at Liberty University, and you can find out more about her at karenkingsbury.com. And um, so we sat down and we talked about her new book, When We Were Young, but we also talked about her career and how she forged this career, how she went from uh, a male-dominated industry in the 80s uh, to as a sports writer, to becoming um, a true crime author, um, to becoming uh, known as a queen of Christian fiction. So we cover all kinds of topics here. <laughs> and uh, we're going to bring you Karen Kingsbury next with When We Were Young. So, Karen, I've often heard you described as the queen of Christian fiction, and I've heard you describe yourself as really an evangelist wrapped up as a novelist. So for those who aren't familiar with your work, would you share how that influences the stories you tell? Yes, well, you know, it really does. I write what I call life-changing fiction, and when I get to go to events and speak, and there'll be thousands and thousands of people, or, you know, women's events and 10,000 people, and then they'll wait for hours in line to meet me, and they come up, and they're sort of shaky, and they get these tears in their eyes, and they say, your book saved my life, or your book saved my marriage, or it brought me back to my family, or whatever the case might be. And after hearing that, you know, for a couple of years, I decided, okay, we're, I'm going to call it its own thing. It's life-changing fiction, and people are hurting. I mean, you look around, and there's just a lot of, there's anger, and there's tumult, and um, confusion, there's discouragement, and my books will change that. Like, you don't, you don't just want to read a book to be entertained. I mean, you want that, but you want to feel, and you're going to need a box of tissues with my new book, but at the end of it, when you're finished, you're going to have so much hope. Right, and and I think we do need that escapism a lot right now. Um, I've heard a lot of writers say they fell in books, uh, in love with books uh, as children for various reasons. Uh, You say because maybe because your parents moved a lot with your dad's job and, and you found friends in books that you never had to leave. That's very true. And Anne of Green Gables or Laura Ingalls in my little house books or even Nancy Drew, you know, I just, these were friends that I could hold on to and that they never left. I could keep them with me wherever I went. And um, now it's it's kind of fascinating that I'm going to have a, a book series coming out in February with my son. We're, we're co-writing it called The Baxter Family Children. We're going to take the Baxters and move them all the way back to when they were 9, 10, 11, 12. And uh, there's going to be a The first book is called Best family ever and it will be for the 8 to 12 year olds and just um, you know super exciting to be able to kind of give back to kids what I so was helped by. Right, right. So since you brought up the Baxter series, um, let's talk a little bit about the Baxters because um, this is book number what? When We Are Young is book number what in the series? Well, book number, this this isn't really in the Baxter Family series. I would call this one a standalone. We aren't, um, after, kind of after I did Love Story, which was a few books ago, I thought it'd be kind of fun to see the Baxter make a cameo appearance 
And so you don't need to have read any other books to go ahead and do uh, When We Were Young, It's Really a Standalone. But Carrie Baxter-Taylor, so she's one of the Baxter girls, and she and her husband are friends with my main characters, Emily and Noah, and their friendship is instrumental. They're praying for them and believing that this um, divorce that's impending will not happen. They're just taking a strong stance and believing. So they're, but they're a very minor role, kind of more of a cameo. Uh, giving people a chance to be able to kind of keep up with the Baxters without another book in the series. Okay, so it's, uh, I know you have a huge, huge following, um, and I saw a lot of different information on, uh, you know, where the books fit and everything, but as, as far as you're concerned, if we're talking about the Baxter series itself, do people benefit from reading them sequentially, or, or do they come in really as standalone books themselves, too? Well, that's a great question. There's about 23 of them that are really, you know, connected. And that starts with the book Redemption. Um, Redemption takes us back about 18 years ago, and it's when the five Baxter kids were kind of just sort of taking wing and finding their way, some of them very much opposed to their families of faith, and some of them struggling with addiction, some of them just in different places. And the parents kind of as the rock-solid you know, matriarch and patriarch, helping them, helping their, their adult kids navigate their way. So starting with the book Redemption is probably a good idea for the series. But once I finished those, uh, so these last several books, it was just people said, what are they doing? <laughs> and I knew. It's like I see them still living in my mind. So it was easy to make them kind of the, the much more minor character in the last few books giving people a chance to see. And if you didn't know the Baxters, it wouldn't make a difference. Okay, makes sense. So I want to, we'll come back to the, um, when we were young in just a moment, but I want to go back uh, in time in your history a little, because it's always interesting, I think, to find out where people came from and what they do. We said you moved a lot as a child, uh, and that's when you kind of fell in love with books. And then you moved at one point to Southern California from Michigan and uh, grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And you, you write, I was a true valley girl, but having lived, I, I used to live in S Southern California, Karen, and I never understood what people meant by valley girl. So would you elaborate on that? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, this was, um, these were my high school and college days, and I would go out with friends dancing, and I would wear the little, you know, the headbands, and we were all Olivia Newton-John. You know, you had the kind of ripped, the, you ripped the neck out of the sweatshirt, right. hangs down a little bit on one shoulder. We had the, the headbands, and then there was that dance. I think, um, you know, is it Carlton in um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he did that dance. And that's kind of that 80s dance that we all did. So I was all about that. I had, you know, just, I was in the whole thing and we would just, you know, oh my goodness, oh my gosh. Oh, you know, we just had that sort of valley girl talk. And right, the uptick, right the there. uptick. <laughs> oh, was, oh yeah, oh for sure, for sure. You know, we just kind of did that thing. So I remember those days, yes. Yeah. So you wanted to, uh, you knew you wanted to write. As a child, you dream of being a novelist, but the practical side of, of writing to you was to go into journalism, um, which you did at college level. And you say there was a point in your freshman year when you were at college that you actually decided you were sick and tired of writing and you were going to do something entirely different, um, be a lawyer. But that's kind of ironic because lawyers do a lot of writing <laughs> too with their papers. Um, and you had a big turning point really at that point when your one of your professors took you aside and, and said, um, you're not going to stop writing. So talk to us about that if you would. It was really amazing. I took a journalism 100 class and it was going to 
meet the requirement for English. So I thought rather than a lot of papers with a lot of citations and whatnot, I would just go ahead and take Journalism 100. And with my experience, it would be an easy A. Well, this was an auditorium class, maybe 250 students. And uh, we were about three weeks in. I had submitted my first story with everyone else, maybe, you know, four or five days earlier. And towards the end of the class, the professor, who was just this very gruff, you know, veteran journalist, now he's a professor, and he had these little spectacles on the end of his nose and he, he all of a sudden looked up and he said by the way karen kingsbury when the class is over i need you to come talk to me and i thought oh no what did i do like <laughs> how did i turn in such a terrible story that he singled me out i thought i'd blown it so this, the school uh, the class ended and i walked down to the front of the classroom and bob scheibel i'll never forget he looks at me and he says karen two things first you're never going to stop writing Second, report to my office in the morning. You're on staff. <laughs> and by that, he meant staff of the newspaper, the school newspaper, right? Yes, and just like <laughs> that, I was back in the game of writing. Right, right. So then that led you to become a sports writer for the LA Times, and that was in the 80s when there were very few women in sports writing then. What made you go into that, and, and how did you cope? Well, you know, it was almost no women. That's very true. And, uh, you know, I just didn't have any, I never believed I couldn't. I, w I never, I never was a person who thought. I never carried any kind of a chip on my shoulder. I just didn't even, I just didn't even acknowledge right. the difference between me and a guy doing it. Um, there was an opening, and it was an internship that uh, senior year of my college education program. And I believe they probably hired me because I was a woman, and they probably loved my stories and thought, well, we can train her how to how to do sports. I didn't know sports very well, but they brought me in and. Uh, over the rest of the semester, it went well enough that they offered me a full-time job when I graduated. So just like that, I was writing sports of all things and finding myself in locker rooms and navigating, you know, eye level and above because locker rooms really are just for guys. And, right, right. Uh, but I was in there and I was making it work and writing my stories. Right, and this this maybe was a precursor to your the books, the kind of stories that you write now. But you say you quickly began to see bigger stories, deeper stories, and and eventually that if a, if a story needed tears, you were the one that the editors gave the story to. That's exactly right. In fact, so I did sports for about two years, and it got to the place where either I was going to go on the road with one of the pro teams in L.A., or I needed to make a jump, and they offered me the jump to the front page, and that's when I began doing the Sunday feature story. So that's what they would do. They'd find that story that you know, was an emotional piece, and I would write the longer Sunday feature that you would find on the front page. So, um, I mean, every single one of those stories could have been a novel, and just my, my you know, creativity and imagination would spin with each one. Right, right. Well, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about another huge turning point in your life, and that was when you met the love of your life. My guest is number one New York Times bestselling author Karen Kingsbury, and we're talking today about her new book, When We Were Young. Please stay with us. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Total Woman Health Studio in Tacoma celebrates 42 years in the fitness business. We specialize in personal training success for women of all fitness levels. We know the number one key to your workout success is consistency, and the solution to maintaining consistency is a Total Woman customized program. Imagine how you want to look and feel. Then come see how we're different. Call Total Woman, 253-565-7546. Mention you heard this on Conversations Live and receive one free month of 
membership. Call right now, 253-565-7546. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. When you've tried therapy, given your marriage everything you've got, is it time to call it quits? What steps should you take before filing for separation? How will the new tax law impact you? And how can a woman create a new and better life on her own? Attorney Ann Grant provides holistic solutions in the Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Hi, I'm Kathy Cooper, and every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m., I'll be hosting Lost and Found. We'll be discussing all types of losses, but it's not going to be the doom and gloom hour. It'll be an hour of education, support, validation, and yes, we will have a little bit of humor. So won't you join me Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., Loss and Found, because every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. Looking for unconditional love, an exercise buddy, or a great listener? Pause has the dog or cat of your dreams, just waiting to meet you. We've made thousands of perfect matches since 1967, because everyone needs a warm, safe place to call home. Find out more today at pause.org or call 425-787-2500. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest in this segment is Karen Kingsbury. We're talking about her latest release, When We Were Young. It came out just this week. And um, Karen, we're, we're talking before the break about a couple of turning points in your life. And I wanted to talk about uh, when you met the love of your life, because that was a very significant uh, turning point for you. Um, on a spiritual level, it sounds as though uh, that was a big turning point. And, and also from a life perspective. So um, you have a great story of how he brought his Bible to your first date and you thought he was crazy. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we met at a health club. We were both working out. He worked out usually in the mornings and I worked out at night. So for a couple of years, we'd never seen each other. And on that one particular day, he came and worked out at night and we ran into each other and got to talking. We had some friends in common. So that kind of made you, you know, feel at ease. And he said, well, I'd love to go out. I'd take you out this week. And then there's this, like, long pause. And he says, I wonder to know if it's okay. I'd like to bring my Bible to the date. <laughs> I thought, okay, this guy is crazy. What is wrong with him? You know, he's, and he was so cute. And he was so clean cut. And that's hard to find in L.A. Like, you could tell he was not a partier. He wasn't a crazy guy. You know, so I was really, really attracted to him, and I thought, well, look at it here. Go ahead, bring the Bible to the date. And uh, we sat there at the first week, he comes to pick me up, 
we were reading Philippians. That's what he wanted to read. And it's lovely. I mean, chapter 4 of Philippians is some of my favorite parts of the Bible. Now it's all about peace and keeping your mind focused on things that are good, right, and pure, and, and how God's peace will be with you. And, and he's reading it. And I'm like, I don't know a Philippian from any Ippian. I just even <laughs> so not discerned all this. And uh, so that kind of started this three-month period where we were dating. And I loved, like, I loved him. I loved hanging out with him. He was fun. He was so, so attracted to him. But he would always want to bring the Bible or talk about the Bible. And he had kind of come from a broken family, and he had decided there's got to be more to life. So he was on a quest that was led by his own heart, really. And um, and he was just, I mean, he was he was going to end up with someone who was going to love God like he did. That was, just, And I had been raised with a denominational faith, but we just didn't read the Bible. We didn't go to church, you know. It was, so it was so different for me, and it was actually attractive, but we, you know, we just kind of fought about it, or I fought about it. He didn't fight, but uh, reached a point three months in where I took his Bible, precious, you know, highlighted, underlined Bible, and I just threw it on the ground and broke it in half. <laughs> and he had to pick up the pieces, and, and as he left, he kind of gave me a sad look, and I thought, oh, no, I'm, like, going to be on the first one on the down staircase. You can't, like, throw and break the Bible, you know. I thought this was really terrible that I had done that. When I went to the store, Christian bookstore, never been, um, picked up a copy of a Bible and a concordance. The guy told me I could look up words, and I didn't get out of the parking lot before I looked up some things that I thought should be there, and they weren't. And I could hear God saying, you could, you know, grab onto my word, or you can fall away with all your man-made beliefs. And I mean, it was just a dramatic turning point. I grabbed on and called called the guy, and he forgave me. And it was just life has been entirely different ever since. Right. Some twenty plus years later, here you are. Now I know that you um, you at one point you you wrote uh, four true crime books, which sounds very contrary to everything you're telling us right now. Uh, and it wasn't your favorite topic, but eventually you decided to go ahead and, and you know pursue becoming a novelist. And um, and here you are with all of these books out now. So the the story of the, your first novel was quite inspiring, really, because you got thirty rejections. I read on that. What was it that kept you going through that period? Because a lot of people give up too soon. They really do. I kept track. It took a year, a whole year, um, and and during that time, so the four the four true crime books were just so dark. They were out of my days as a front page, you know, Sunday feature writer. And they were gripping, but they were they were predictably dark, and they were going to end in a murder. There was nothing I could do about that. And these other stories of inspiration and hope and desperation were growing in my heart. And uh, so the first one, Where Yesterday Lives, it has a lot of my own background in it. And so I sent it in, and people would say, wow, we really love it, but there's no sex, there's no language. Like, we just don't know where we would ever publish it. Well, that's different today. So that's a, a right. change in the market, which is wonderful that, you know, this kind of fiction has a place. Um, but the, they even said, this is not sanitized fiction. I don't write, I mean, my fiction is graphic emotionally, but it's not gratuitously uh, graphic physically. Right. And and so anyway, it was it was one of those things where I just kept believing the stories were too good to not get published. There were, even in the rejection letters, there were glimpses of light and of hope that kept me going, and I kept a journal of it. I kept, like, <laughs> who I would contact and how what, what I would hear, and there was a publisher, Multnomah, it was a Christian publisher that I submitted the book to, and over the whole year, um, 
they just, I would call and they would say, oh, well, you haven't gotten to it, but we're going to get to it next week. And I'd call again. I mean, I never gave up. And all during that time, I was just like, right. if I have to go back to waiting tables, I will. But I really believe in this. Right, right. Yeah, a, a great story of persistence there. And so I want to just jump back to when we were young, because you this story really covers, um, I mean, it's a story of a couple, if you will, but it, it also covers a, uh, a story that's prevalent in the news right now. Uh, we hear people getting obsessed with social media, and this story is based on an obsession. You have this seemingly perfect couple, Noah and Emily Carter, who were meant to be together, and Noah becomes obsessed with their Instagram account. <laughs> and um, it one thing leads to another, and it almost destroys their relationship. And the story takes place in a 24-hour timeline. So why did you want to, uh, where did this story idea come from, and why was it important to, to share this? Well, I heard a John Mayer song, uh, Never on the Day You Leave. My son showed it to me. He said, listen to this song. It's great words. And by the end of the song, I had tears on my cheeks. I said, wow, that's a, a deep song because it brings up an, a thought that I think people don't recognize when they're walking out of a relationship, whatever kind of relationship. And that is that on the day you leave, you're so sure. Like, I am out of here, but shit. But you don't know what it's going to be like six months, a year, five years, ten, even twenty years down the road. And then that kind of combined with the thought that I, I love Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. Right. And the idea that he changes so much in one miraculous night. And so I thought, you know, if I had a, if I had a character like Noah and he's a football player who got some concussions, he might actually get headaches so badly that he could actually almost have some sort of... Um, but visions or, or delusions or, or like moments don't, that feel real um, that, that would allow him to wake up throughout the night each time four or five years older than when he closed his eyes. And so we get to be with Emily while she's sitting in the back porch watching a storm pass by and she's devastated. She's remembering how their love story began. And then we flip to Noah and we get to see what he's seeing, which is this frantic like why are the kids older why do i live here what's happening where's my wife and he goes through these moments of just they're so sad like i cried while i was writing this book and there were times when i would find myself saying don't go don't go don't. like i'm pleading with my character not to leave in the morning it's crazy Right, right. Well, we're almost out of time here, but at the back of the book, you have readers' uh, guide questions, and I, I love to turn these back on authors. So I'm going to ask, ask you one of your questions yourself. And um, I, the question is, what are the spiritual and relational dangers of posting your life every day on social media, as so many people do? No, it's it just, well, the danger, I think, is that, you know, you wake, like in this case, picture two people, they wake up, you know, the mom goes and she's getting the two-year-old and the four-year-old, and dad comes to the table and starts to arrange things in such a way for a photo. Right? He's not even connected with his right. mom. said, how are you, and can I help you with the kids? Or, you know, so you start to have your focus be on, and at the root of that, really, I mean, it's pride. It's wanting more followers, and it's wanting a, a bigger, more popular, more famous sort of persona in, in the public eye and at the expense of the people who are sitting right next to you. And I think spiritually, you know, God, he wants us to look up. He doesn't want us to be in our phones all the time and our computers all the time. I think it, um, it kind of, it just takes on a, it, it creates a void. And in that void, that's where you, that's where a very great danger of just started, you know, you start to forget what's important, whether it's God or the people who are at your dinner table. Right, we miss so much if we're not 
if we're not present there with them. Well, I, I loved hearing your story and um, how you got so successful. And I'd like to offer you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a thought. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, for me, I always like to say that when Jesus wanted to tell you straight, he would tell you straight. And when he wanted to make a point, he would turn over a table. But when Jesus wanted to touch your heart, he told a story. And I am so thankful that I can write stories like when we were young that can literally be life-changing for people who read them. Karen Kingsbury, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you can find out more about Karen Kingsbury and her work at karenkingsbury.com. And uh, going back to my first guest today from National Geographic, you can find out more about Cara Santa Maria at her website, which is also her name, Cara Santa Maria. It's easy when it's her name, right? Cara Santa Maria. And just a reminder that you can uh, see her on National Geographic channel on Explorer on November 12th at 10 p.m. Eastern. And um, that brings us, I guess, to the end of today's show. I was just flipping through the almanac uh, while we were listening to Karen Kingsbury there, and I found this happiness atlas of the world. And it has these little smiley faces uh, of ver- over various countries. And depending on how much they're smiling, it indicates how happy they are. And we're not doing so good. <laughs> we're about between 18 and 25 uh, percent, according to that. Uh, people say that we're happy. That's that's not a, a lot, really, when you think of the size of our country. A lot of unhappy people out there, so we need to do a better job on that. <laughs> All right, so uh, just a quick reminder, if you please could go to the website at 1150kknw.com if you haven't already done so, and do the survey. It really does help us. Uh, helps me put programming together. And um, you know where to find us. You can find me at 800-495-7617, 800-495-7617. You can also find me on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair and on Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. When you've tried therapy, given your marriage everything you've got, is it time to call it quits? What steps should you take before filing for separation? How will the new tax law impact you? And how can a woman create a new and better life on her own? Attorney Ann Grant provides holistic solutions in the Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net.